Hi, and welcome back to episode four of Publisher Nation, the podcast designed to examine all aspects of the publishing industry, old and new. I'm joined today by my co-host, David Dunham of Grabber. David, say hello. Hello, folks. It's good to be with you today. Thank you, Bradley. Absolutely, David. It's been a while. We recorded those first three episodes all at the same time, and Nice to be back in the saddle with you. It has uh, been. I'm looking forward to getting into uh, full bore ahead with new, uh, with all these new podcasts. Absolutely. Our special guest today is Denise Clifton of Tandem Vines Media. Denise, say hello. Hello. Hi, Bradley. Hi, David. Hello, everybody. And thanks for inviting me to join you. Denise, thank you very, very much for joining us. You've got a very interesting resume, interesting background, and I want to start with that. Um, you grew up on the West Coast. You've been a West Coaster uh, most, if not all, of your life. You've been very involved in journalism. And share with us a little bit about your background, but specifically, I'm curious um, how you decided to make the transition more out of journalism and more into freelancing uh, different aspects of publishing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, you're right. I have spent my career uh, primarily in journalism. I worked for the Seattle Times for about 20 years. Um, I worked as a, I started out as a news desk editor and designer, but I ended up uh, working primarily on the visual storytelling side of journalism. So I moved up, became an art director. I managed uh, editorial projects for the newsroom that included um, investigative news projects that included uh, high profile explanatory product projects and um, as I was doing that a lot of that work involved uh, sitting down with journalists who are more primarily word people reporters and editors and helping them figure out how to tell a story um, using the visual journalism, visual storytelling tools that, that we had available. So really spending some time with them and figuring out what the story needed, what they needed to do to tell this, that story and helping them work with uh, photo editors and photographers and graphic artists and illustrators to tell those stories. So that was a lot of what I did at the, at the Seattle Times. Um, I ended up leading the department of uh, the designers and graphic artists and illustrators for a number of years. And in my last years at the Seattle Times, I was working in um, product development, representing the newsroom and the visual journalism side of that, the visual design needs um, of, of the newsroom in product development. So in developing apps, in a new website and CMS that we implemented in 2015. Um, so so that, was, that was really my, my time as a journalist, but you know, a few years ago in, uh, in 2012, right as iBooks Author was coming out, I had this um, sort of confluence of, of opportunities come together. So one was I was looking for the chance to stretch myself as a visual storyteller, and uh, iBooks Author was really appealing because it you know, offered all of these um, new kind of immersive tools in a book narrative format. And I was eager to explore that sort of stretch myself. Um, and at the same time, I had a story, I'd been looking at uh, writing opportunities and stretching myself as a writer as well. And I was expanding a story on San Francisco restaurants that opened in the years after the 1906 earthquake um, and highlighting some of those that are still there from that time period. 
So I, I had this, I had this story and then this software came out that was really intriguing to me. So in 2012, I took a leave from the Seattle Times and, and my bosses were incredibly generous in letting me do that at that time. And I, I took some time to explore the tool, apply it to this um, very visual story that I had uh, that I wanted to tell, um, story that was rich with historical photos, menus, maps, um, all of that, and tried to think of, well, how does this come together in a really engaging and new way? And uh, when I published that and went back to work at the Seattle Times, I enjoyed the process so much and really wanted to keep building on it that I kept my, my company going. So I started my company, I started Tandem Vines in 2012, um, but then returned to the Seattle Times later that year and just kept this work going um, with other, other clients in the meantime. So um, I, over the course of the next couple of years, I, I experimented with this. I taught monks in Kauai uh, how to make wow. iBooks. They reached out to me, uh, mm. uh, the Kauai Hindu, Hindu monastery reached out to me and, and ended up having me to come, come over and do some training with them. Um, I also worked on a year-long project with a musician out of Maryland named Stephen Hancock on a on a what ended up being a four-volume iBook on Bach Casals and the Six Suites of, of Cello Solo. Nice. So I was I was doing all of this while I was still working at the at the Seattle Times. And and it was in that time period, it was actually shortly after um, my San Francisco book published in 2012, that was Tables from the Rubble. Um, it was shortly after that, that Andrew Schneider reached out to me about his project. And I ended up, I started working with him in late 2012, 2013. And, um, and then we published that book, uh, obviously in 2016. So, and that became an air that still kills that, that we can talk about. So that, but that was kind of the trajectory of, of going, you know, I had always been, working with um, with people to help them figure out how to tell their stories. And this became a new tool in that, um, in that toolbox. iBooks author became a new tool in that toolbox to do that. So let's talk about an area that still kills for a minute. Yep. Um, since this is the focus of, uh, Denise will be joining us this fall, uh, October 12th and 13th at the 2017 iBooks author conference taking place here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, which is the annual gathering of iBooks author users from around the world. And Denise, um, talk to us a little bit about what an era that still kills is, um, what the purpose uh, of bringing it to iBooks author and using iBooks author for it was, um, and just sort of um, share, dive a little bit deeper for us uh, on how that project came to be. Absolutely. So, so yes, uh, Andrew Schneider, Andy, as um, as I, I knew him, uh, approached me after he saw Tables from the Rubble, and he had been working on this investigative project. Andy was an investigative journalist. Um, he had I knew him because he had worked for the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and I remembered his reporting on Libby Montana, which went back to the nineteen uh, nineties. And that was a big story that they broke at the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. And as you know, the rival uh, newspaper, we were watching them very closely. And, uh, and it was a very important story about this town in Montana, Libby, Montana, um, that had 
an asbestos mine that had sickened the population there. And, um, and he was really the first one to go into Libby and to discover what was happening, what was making people sick and to tell um, the broader world about, about that and to report on the efforts of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency investigators who were working on, on um, finding out what had happened and, and what, what could be done about it. So that reporting for Andy's work goes back to the 90s, but he and um, David McCumber, his editor, had they had written a book in 2004 called An Air That Kills, and it pulled together all of the reporting from that time about this uh, environmental and, and human tragedy in Montana. Um, when, when Andy reached out to me, he had been doing additional reporting on this on this topic. The story didn't end in 2004. Uh, he was finding that the the scope of, of the reach of the poisoning of asbestos from Libby was much greater and really a nationwide uh, concern. And people were at risk nationally because of asbestos that's in a lot of homes and schools. And, and so he was it was really important to him to update this book and um, and and get that piece of the reporting out to to the to the broader world. Um, he when he saw tables from the rubble, he was really interested in this format because it was a visually compelling format that he thought could be applied to this investigative uh, journalism story that he had and wanted to talk with me about that. What, what opportunities did I see there? Did I think it could work? Um, he was also approached by a couple of professors at the time who were interested in using his book in their classes as a teaching tool. And the format in 2012 was, was very appealing to them. It was getting a lot of notice in academia. And, uh, and so he was interested in, in having this be a book where we could show some of the reporting work so people could understand the reporting that went into this, this, uh, this work and um, also really communicate the humanity, um, the people who were affected. And at that time made the decision that in order that it was most important to get this out to the broadest audience. So even though he loved and wanted to promote the iBooks author format of the book, it was important that we also did a Kindle and a, a print format on this as well. Um, so we published that in, in early 2016. And, and I'm uh, very sad to say that we, that Andy died earlier this year. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and, and all of us who worked with him, I mean, so, touched by his dedication to the importance of getting this story out, any, any story that he worked on, getting, getting the, um, the story told in the right and the best way uh, was so important to him. And um, we're just also glad that we, that we all got it done, <laughs> right? I bet. Yeah. That, that was quite a story. I, I wasn't even aware of it until I looked online and, and did some research on it. But I mean, the, the fact that, I mean, this was like an Aaron Brockovich moment, you know, mm -hmm. that predated even that, 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 that crisis. But, um, and I noticed that, you know, that according to one story that I read that, you know, the WR Grace company was, was, you know, reached a settlement and paid several million dollars, but, but there are still 
people suffering from that asbestos contamination? Today. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. so there are hundreds of of you know people in in Libya alone. Um, I think I don't know the percentage exactly from the town, but it's a tremendous number of people there, and their children were impacted um, by the poisoning that came out of that mine. And then people across the country again who have uh, worked with asbestos um, or have it in their homes. It's, it's been, you know, or, or in gardening uh, materials, it's also been in gardening materials. So it's really a tragedy now that is on uh, of just a huge scale. So Denise, you've got very interesting line of sight on the evolution of storytelling. You've been part of this, uh, your, your, your journalism career uh, really has been anchored by, you know, storytelling and, and then your transition into publishing. And that's what An Era That Still Kills is about. You know, it, it's part of that story is uh, using uh, the best available tool at the time, iBooks author, to tell that story in a different way. And my question, which will sort of set the framework for the Falls Conference, is if you had it to do again right now, if you uh, had uh, an error that still kills, you, you know, you wanted to go and produce that story um, today, what do you think the best way to do it would be? Would you engage iBooks author again, or is there some other set of tools that you might use? Have you thought about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that iBooks author still has value uh, in the accessibility of the visual storytelling, the, the seamless nature of, this, of the storytelling. It's so much more um, accessible to do that in the iBooks format uh, than it is to say, do that in a Kindle format. Sure. Um, and so I think there's value in that, but it, it requires some real exploration and discussion about uh, because the audience um, is so limited to the Apple universe, and then within the Apple universe, it's limited further to the people who will buy digital books. Um, it's you know it's really a small audience that's hard to reach. Uh, so I, I guess I think I would have gone back to if I had it to do over again, I would go back to Andy and we would sit down and analyze that. Um, much more intensely from the beginning to make sure that um, even if it is a small audience, that he would see the value in telling the story that way. You know, Apple, you know, if they could tap into all of the people who are buying their hardware, um, it's a huge audience, but they, uh, you know, they haven't put the effort into uh, building and maintaining the iBooks app, you know, the iBooks store and all of that. And, and I think that's, um, it really comes home to roost with situations like an era that still kills where you've got a built in audience, the networks of the Pacific Northwest who have been following the story and whatnot. But um, it just really, it's, I don't want to get on the soapbox on this podcast, but I will say briefly, it, it makes you very, it makes me very upset when you think about how many more people would be aware of, for example, this very story if the iBook store were more navigable, discoverable, searchable, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, and, and this is a theme that we talk about every year as far as the iBooks author 
conference is concerned and hopefully um at some point sooner or later uh apple will uh, address that. I, I want to shift gears one second and and ask you about something else um, okay. that, I'm, that I'm curious about uh, your thoughts on. So there's a lot in the uh, news today, uh, you know, popular culture uh, about fake news. And with your particular background of spending so much time in news and right. then now transitioning over into um, you know, full-time, you know, uh, doing tandem vines. Talk to me about fake news, Denise. Is fake news, um, is, is it uh, a call for the journalism industry and the news industry to improve itself? Um, or is it just a political red herring um, that really doesn't exist? Yeah, I think uh, the term fake news is most often deployed when when somebody doesn't like what they're hearing, they sure. don't like sure. what they're what's being reported, and so I think it becomes um, it's sort of a, a cop out of they don't you they don't have to listen to it if it's labeled fake news, and um, and so they'll just call it that. Uh, they'll just call it fake news. And I, yeah, I mean, as a journalist, it's the kind of thing that uh, it, it strikes me, you know, it, at my core, the iBooks author version of an air that still kills shows the work very well in that there is so much work and so much care and, and so much conscience that goes into reporting a story like this. And you can show the source material and you can show the people who are affected and you can listen to their voices. This is a tool that can counter that concept of fake news because you can show the work. And I think showing the work has value. I wrote I an article about that, by the way. Keep going. I saw that. Yes, I appreciated that. People look at news organizations and, and what they're doing out on their websites. So many more of them are essentially using forms of annotation within their websites to, to show some of that reporting. I just feel like that transparency has become it's, it's much more apparent to people than it used to be. There's a much bigger effort from news organizations to do that. My concern and, and frustration with the concept of quote unquote fake news is that I think it's just, uh, it's often just used because people don't like what they're hearing and sure. not because there's anything um, wrong with the reporting itself. The future of storytelling, to me, uh, Denise, and, and I, I think David feels the same way, is is, is through multimedia. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's not iBooks author, maybe it's something else. But, um, you know, we've got all these people chattering about fake news. Meanwhile, there's no clear dominant storytelling tool uh, that uses the written word. Now, you've got YouTube and you got, you know, it's really the rise of video right now. We sit at this very strange time where there's ambiguity about what the best method of storytelling is. And I think that contributes to some of the ability of people to just reject stories that they don't want to hear. Right. Um, my hope is that Apple decides, whether it's with, a, you know, the current CEO or a different one to, to do something with iBooks Author, because as it sits right now, we're about to be on the one-year anniversary of no updates to the software at all. Uh, The last update was the first week of September of last year, I believe. Uh, But uh, we'll we'll talk about that uh, more this fall. David, you got any other follow-up questions? I do. Um, You know, I'm really curious to know, Denise, with the clients that you have, how are they promoting their books? And 
And, and what have you found to be one of the most successful strategies today or platforms today for promoting books? Yeah, that's actually, I wish that I, I could say that I had a magic answer to that question because uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. You know, I think, I think the promotion question is always um, the, the biggest challenge, particularly for those of us who are not naturally or don't have the, the training or expertise in promotion and marketing and publicity. Mm-hmm. And it's changed so much. I mean, social media has a, has a big piece to do with it. Reviews, you know, on news websites or, or in newspapers are a much smaller piece of it or a non-existent piece of it. A, a lot of uh, reviewers, um, book reviewers have been, you know, cut from newspaper staff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I'm, I don't actually have somebody who I would point to as saying, oh, this was a great success story on the marketing front or on the publicity front. Um, I think for an era that still kills, uh, Andy's team worked really hard to try to get it out there. And the, and the print book has actually been the biggest uh, mm. seller of the three formats. And that's partly because he is reaching an academic audience and there's still a bit of a you know predisposition predisposition to buying print books in college classrooms, or at least the ones that are, are, that he's reaching now. In my question, in my interviews with clients and discussions around the right format, trying to come up with the right kind of way to tell their story, that's part of my question for them is who do they want to reach? How do they want to reach it? And how are we going to promote it? Like Mm -hmm. get that thinking from the very beginning, because perhaps that changes the format that we choose. Mm -hmm. And in case of the project that I'm working on with Pike Place Market, the the great thing about that project, I would say, is that we are creating a book that will be in iBooks form, but they are not trying to sell it. They're going to be giving it away. And the purpose of that is, is for them to be telling and sharing their organizational story, and particularly with scholars and researchers and people who are coming to them for guidance on how to run uh, public markets. So in that case, since they're giving it away, the marketing part is a little bit, they have their own outreach for how they'll, how they'll handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't, in fact, if you have any guidance for, uh, for publishers and, and, uh, and authors who are, who are trying to get their books out, I will be eager to hear that. Well, yeah, it's got a pretty uh, good tool I hear. <laughs> oh, thank you. You lobbed that one over the net, Bradley. That was great. Well, I, I, I'm, I am curious because uh, obviously in my 42-year history in book publishing, I've seen um, everything. We have a, a company called uh, Grabber.com, G-R-A-B-E-R, mm-hmm. and it is a social marketing platform for anyone with digital content, and that means whether it's books, whether it's music, whether it's a podcast, whether it's film, magazines, whatever the, whatever the medium is, anything that you can, you can share. There's two components to our platform. One is sharing, and the other is a reward. So you, you, you motivate people to share something that you want to promote, whether it's an ad, whether it's a video promotion whether it's a cover of a book or a cover of a CD or whatever, in exchange for a certain reward that you're giving them for doing that. And what you're doing is leveraging your own um, a customer fan base, if you customer client or fan base, to, to reach uh, multiple and exponentially more um, uh, people with your message. Denise, tell me, Quickly, what are you currently working on that that we can look forward to seeing in the near future? 
Thank you so much for asking that. I am actually, uh, I am updating the San Francisco book that I wrote, Tables from the Rubble. I will wow. have the iBook of that updated with both new material and uh, some additional restaurants, basically some things that I've learned in the, in the five years since we published it originally. Mm-hmm. And so that will be done uh, in the iBook form in time for the conference. I'm really excited about that because it's just uh, uh, such a, a wonderful opportunity to look at restaurants that have lasted for generations in San Francisco. Well, I look so forward to reading that. I'm a foodie, and and I and San Francisco is probably one of my well, it's definitely one of my top three cities in the world. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Then you absolutely have to check out and, Tables from the But Rubble. I love what I read in the review about, I want to read about the, what the, pro, about the prohibition aspect of it. That's what's really kind of interesting to me. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So, so yeah, so that's, that will be done in time for the conference. And then uh, the work that I'm doing with Pike Place Market, uh, we have a target for the end of the year, but it may be pushing into first quarter of 2018. But I think that is also going to be a real um, showcase for the kind of storytelling that you can do in the, in uh, iBooks author. And, mm-hmm. and I just hope that, you know, the more, stories that we find, the more narratives that can be portrayed well in this. I guess my hope is that if, if more people can, can learn about them, perhaps then there will be more interest from Apple in supporting it and, and shoring up that, developing for that uh, uh, platform. Very glad to have you on this podcast. Glad you're going to be joining us in October. Thank you for setting your time aside today um, and just sharing your wealth of experience and insight with us. It's greatly appreciated. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. For this episode of Publisher Nation, thank you for listening. And until next time.